Hey, book loving friends, my name is Ali Kona Bradford, and today I have an award winning race car driver, successful businessman, and inspirational force to be reckoned with, Justin Peck. And today we are going to be talking about his memoir, Bulletproof. So join the conversation here on Book Circle Online. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. All right, ladies and gents, like I said, I love when you join the conversation. So all you have to do is join the hashtag, hashtag BCO Bulletproof. You can also tweet me at boysandbeauty01 if you have any questions. This conversation is about to get really interesting, so make sure you participate. But first and foremost, I would like to welcome straight from the SBs, Mr. Justin Peck. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you had a fantastic night last night, I'm assuming. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a lot of good people to meet. So Awesome. Cool. So we're here to talk a little bit about your memoir. Yes. And, you know, you discuss a lot of things from highs to lows. I want to ask you what inspired you to share your story with people, as well as tell us a little bit about your story. So the initial idea of the book um, was to write it for my children. So I wanted to write something um, for them so as they grew up and then grandbabies and great-grandchildren and that, they knew kind of who I was and, and, and what I dealt with back then. Um, and so when I wrote it, um, I had, you know, 15 or 20 chapters done, handed it to a couple people and they started saying, wow, this is incredible first off. And we had no idea that you were like this. And so it, it kind of evolved into something that now it's, I want to be able to share. I want to be able to help. I want to be able to make a difference. So let's talk a little bit about, so for someone who's not really familiar with your story, so again, I mentioned you are a highly decorated race car driver, businessman, but you also have grown up living with bipolar disease. Yes. So this book is really delving into your life from that perspective. Yes. And one of the things that I read is that you actually had it at the age of 13, but went all the way through to age 26 before you even knew that you had it. So can you describe that period of your life for the rest of us? So um, the age of 13 is when, um, looking back now, is when I knew that, like, my very first manic episode, and I remember it to this day, like, it's very, very vivid. So, um, but even prior to that, um, even being seven, eight years old, I knew that, like, the emotions that I had and the way that I um, was able to conduct myself was different than my friends and the people that surrounded me. So had had a first manic um, episode when I was thirteen. Um, tried to uh, tried to pull that one out, right? And so, what? Is, wait, really quick. What is a manic episode? For, again, for people who are not familiar, like what is that like? Uh, manic episode is the best experience you'll ever have in your entire <laughs> life. So it's um, uh, for me when I'm manic, um, I'm very super motivated, very creative. Um, I've started several companies while, while I'm manic. Um, the energy is unstoppable. It's you go and go and go. You don't need sleep. It's it's almost like being on a drug, but you're not. Um, you can be very, very focused. Um, the issue is, is because I go so fast, I talk very fast. I, I, um, a lot of the conversations that I have don't make much sense to other people. It makes sense to me in my head. Yeah. But for the most part... Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's almost overwhelming for people. So that's manic. Gotcha. So go back to what we were talking about. The first time you had a manic episode, you remember you were like, what, 13, you said? Yeah, yeah. I was I was uh, I was 13 years old. I um, was supposed to be babysitting my brothers. Um, 
something happened and I started bouncing off the wall and, and my brothers ended up calling my mom. She was out, um, they were doing something and, and she couldn't come back. So my grandpa came over and he was insistent that I was high, that I was doing like I was, cause I was going like almost crazy. And, um, I remember, you know, that lasted for a couple of days. My mom would, you know, he, she ended up calling my dad saying, Hey, you know, our boy is on something. He's, he's doing something. And then a couple of days later, I went from having the best time of my life to not being able to get out of bed. So being 13 years old, um, you know, I, I would always play it off and how I played it off for a long time is I don't feel well. I feel sick. I've got the flu. I've got a cold. I don't want to get out of bed. But really, it's I have. There's no motivation to get up. There's no purpose. There's no reason to even you know put my shoes on. So, mm-hmm. so um, I did that, and then you know, so from the age, um, you know, from the teenage years, uh, and you got to remember, like back then, back in those days, bipolar, like mental disorders, that they weren't even on the radar. Mm-hmm. People had no clue, and if you had a mental disorder, that was almost like you should be locked up because you're like legit crazy. Right. So, so going through that, um, my mother and, and, you know, my parents, they always kind of put it as I was, um, that's puberty. I'm going through puberty and it's the the hormones and, and, and this is why he's acting like he was. And, um, so from 13 to, you know, probably 23, 24, um, that's where, like, that's why I've always been a little socially awkward. Um, Did you ever go to any doctors or anything? Like, feeling, yeah. okay, something is not right? Never. No, I, I knew something wasn't right. Um, but because I knew that something wasn't right, um, I didn't want to cause attention to it. Mm-hmm. And and so I would always be that person or, or be that boy that would stand in the corner or be alone. I wouldn't socialize with my friends very much because I was always afraid of the emotion that would that could potentially be there. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned in your book that at one point you hit an ultimate low and attempted to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. What were the thoughts leading up to that moment? And fortunately for friends, family, and for the rest of us, you were not very successful at it. Um, yeah. Talk me through the moments of right before and when the gun did not go off. Okay, so um, so I had had a rough couple months um, struggling in uh, in one of the companies that I had. Um, had a little bit of a, a of a relationship issue, um, and so I kind of had this downward downward uh, spiral that was that got out of control. So I remember waking up one morning, um, and w- which this is a this is a constant challenge for me even to this day. Um, of the first five or ten minutes when I wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. I have to decide if I actually still want to be here. And it's a, I mean, it's an everyday thing. This isn't something that just happens, you know, once or twice a week, once or twice a year. It's every single morning that I wake up, I have to talk myself into saying, all right, there's a reason. Like, let's, let's yeah. go. So I woke up, forced myself out of bed and really didn't have a, too much of a plan of, of how the, day's events would happen right Mm -hmm. so i kissed my wife um went upstairs kissed the kids went out to the backyard grabbed my dog took my dog put her put her in the back of the truck and we drove up the canyon and listening to music um music's always been you know a huge thing for me anyway but um kind of listening to the music got to the top of the canyon um and 
opened up the tailgate of the, the truck, the dog starts running around and it didn't take long. It was like two or three minutes where the dog typically would run everywhere, but she didn't. She ran around for a bit and then stopped right by my door. So my door is kind of kicked open I'm listening to music. And I, for the first time um, ever, I took a, a notepad and I kind of just started writing down notes. And it, it wasn't necessarily like goodbye letters or um, like anything like that. It was more of just kind of what the emotion that was going through, um, that was going through my head at the time. And, you know, so I wrote a couple things to my mom and a couple things to uh, to, to some other people. And like, I remember just looking out of the windshield of the truck and just like I had no ambition to be here. Mm-hmm. So reached in the glove compartment of my truck, loaded my pistol, put it to my head and pulled the trigger. And it was one of those, it wasn't like I had it and then it waited and then I loaded it and then waited. It was just one action. Did it, put it to my head, pulled the trigger and the outcome wasn't what I expected by no means. So yeah, of course. it was, um, it was a, just a loud click. And so then I really got down on myself thinking, how, how can I screw this up? Like, I mean, literally, like, come on. So I was thinking I didn't load it. And so when I chambered another bullet, the, the first one popped out on the ground. So I got out of the truck and picked it up and looked at it. And you could see where the firing pin had actually hit the bullet. It just didn't go off. And the rush that I got from that, immediately pulled me out of that that depressive self like like worthless type feeling mm-hmm. and so I got back in the truck and now the music was louder and now I was excited and I had this adrenaline and it was like it was awesome and that was kind of one of the first times I realized that it's like all right there's something wrong up. yeah, yeah. There, there's something up you can't go from a point of of you know pulling the trigger and you know trying to blow your head off to being happy yeah Really quick, I just want to make mention of, um, I had read in Psychiatric Times that actually about 50% of people living with bipolar at some point in their life attempt to commit suicide. So it's something that it's it's common. So if if you do know somebody who's living with or shows symptoms, it's definitely something very important to address. No, of course. But you took the situation, you turned around, and like you said, when you're in your manic phase, obviously you're really focused, really motivated, and you've turned around and you've built such an amazing life. So I definitely want to talk a little bit about that as well, too. How did you, you... rebuild your life from that moment going forward from race car driving to businesses so what i realized from the from at least that moment and i've always been kind of the adrenaline freak um from day one i think i think when the day that i was born i was trying to do backflips right so i um i've always been able to take the adrenaline adrenaline makes me feel good the endorphins and 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 those type of things and so um when that day happened i realized that the rush was the thing that could focus me and and could keep me kind of grounded and uh, you know I'd, I've, I've been racing for a long 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 time and so I really started paying attention more that every time I went to the race um, and actually had the chance to compete with other people that when I would put my helmet on the second that I would put my helmet on all the chaos from outside would stop and like it would it was almost like the bipolar and the mental disorder stopped. So it was my drug. I could put the helmet on and, and, and start to race. And so I really started getting into racing even more. 
and then started racing professionally and um, really focusing on that because that's that's part of the drug that helps me stay here. And, yeah, and actually function. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to talk about just because before we started on live with everybody yeah, at home, yeah. we were just talking about how sometimes having a mental illness can be very taboo mm-hmm. because it can be embarrassing. So, what would be your advice to somebody at home who's maybe thinking something might be a little off, or like how to deal with those those emotions and that insecurity? So the um, what a lot of people who have the disorder. Um, compared to the people who do, who don't have it people with the disorder don't necessarily know that they have it so when i'm in a manic phase or when i'm in a depressive state i don't feel like there's anything wrong with me it's the people that surround me that see it and those are the people that that are typically affected so um to be able to find your triggers to be able to find the things that you know when someone says hey like you're talking way too fast or you've or you're doing this or you need to get out of bed because you've been there for 30 days to be able to start to understand those triggers and 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 what you have um that's kind of the first sign mm-hmm. you know for me it was always being able to understand that i have control of my brain right even though i don't the disorder doesn't really allow it I've found ways to be able to control my thoughts and to be able to control the emotions. And um, it's a it's a learned technique. It's a learned coping skill. Mm-hmm. And once I once I was able to to learn those processes and learn those type of things, um, life has been better for sure. So I have a question that's really just off the wall, okay. right? But uh, since I since I encourage yeah. people at yeah. home to participate, if you are watching live or later on, you know you can talk to us on social media. But I did have somebody ask, how many tattoos do you have? <laughs> oh, see, here again. This is... Is there a story behind there's this? A, there's, okay. There's a story behind everything. So um, when, I, when I was 18 years old, I wanted to tattoo. Right. And so I walked into the tattoo shop and said, this is what I want. And it was like a car or something. And he was a little busy and I couldn't get in. And so I decided to go back a month later. Well, in that month period of time, I changed my mind. So at that point, I decided, all right, I'm going to wait until like I'm going to wait a year until I'm 19 to see Mm -hmm. if I wanted the same thing. So I waited till 19, didn't want the same thing, but knew what I wanted then. So I did that three or four times, um, and I would wait a couple years um, in in between. So when I was 35, I had kind of an idea of what I wanted, and um, 38 wanted the same thing. And then when I turned 40, yes, I'm 43. You look good. Yeah, you perfect. look good. Yeah. So I turned uh, when I turned 40, I figured it's my like I want a tattoo. So I was completely tattoo free. Um, when I was like, when I was 40 years old. And so we started with the first one and within a period of 11 months, um, I put in 270 hours. Oh God. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. So, so my back, like I'm, I'm completely covered from both sleeves and my entire back. So, wow. Yeah. So, but it was, it was more of kind of a manic face thing. It's like, this is awesome. Plus I like the feel of of the tattoo because it it's crazy because it brought out the endorphins and mm-hmm. the adrenaline Makes and sense. it completely like it put me in bliss 
Wow. So, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Good story, though. Yeah, it's... Um, I've always told anybody anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Moderation is for people who are don't believe in their abilities. Of course. So I don't ever do anything in moderation. Which is why you're successful. Yeah, yeah I hope so. Uh, I actually want to know about some of because you're racing. What are some of the awards? Because I know you've got a lot of them. So what are some of... The, the the big ones that you're like, yeah, I achieved this. Yeah, I, uh, so I, I started out on dirt bikes. Um, I did a lot of, of, uh, of national desert racing. And so I've got, um, I was back-to-back national champion for for quite a few years on um, on a dirt bike. Um, when I went to the asphalt, um, I've won championships on asphalt as well. And and um, the, uh, the off-road stuff is fairly new to me in a, in a truck. Um, I've done the off-road a long time, you know, on like the dirt bikes and stuff. But, but in the trucks, um, now I'm looking for podiums and stuff in that because I, you know, I mean, I'm racing against the fastest guys in the country. Yeah. And there's really, if you take it, if you take our sport, there are only, I think last time I looked, there were 112 professional off-road racers um, in the short course racing that I do mm-hmm. 112 out of everybody in the U S and wow. so it's, it's very limited and it's the best of the best. Yeah. And so for me being fairly new to the sport, you know, I'm still learning, I'm still progressing, but that's what racing is. In, you know, anyway, it's, um, we don't race car drivers. We live our lives in tenths of a second. So everything is just in the moment all the time. And you know, that's kind of where I'm pushing to now. So one of our, our Twitter guests that are joining the conversation says that you seem so fearless, so they want to know if there's anything that you're afraid of. Yeah. Physically fear. Like I was talking to someone last night about this, and I don't know if I even know what fear feels like, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so fear, like physical fear, fear of getting hurt, fear of those type of things, no. Like I, you know, I've broke seventy-eight bones. I've had nineteen surgeries. Twelve. Wow. Um, I've got twelve rods, six plates, three hundred screws, cadaver parts. I've died twice. Like I've, wow. Yeah, I've I've been there, done that. Right. Hold on, we gotta rewind and talk a little okay. bit about the fact that you've died twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's a big yeah, one. Yeah. Um, describe one of those experiences for us. Uh, so there was a national event um, in Nevada that I did. Um, it was like early 2000 or mm-hmm. something like that. So we had, um, it's a, a desert race on a dirt bike. So you had 450 guys lined up. They dropped the flag. Everybody takes off um, and you try to make it to the first turn. And then you've got 200 miles to race. So, I'd done well the year before, and so this was, I'm winning this, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, we always, I never put on a helmet knowing that I'm not going to win. I always know that I'm going to win. I may not. It's a great attitude to have, though, either way. So so they dropped the flag, I take off, and um, I was running about sixth out of about 400 guys. And so it's top speed, so we're doing probably 115 miles an hour on the dirt. And right as I let off the throttle to slow down for the first turn, some guy clipped my back end, and I went for a tumble. So I laid, uh, when all the dust cleared, I was laying on my back, and I kind of looked to the left, I looked to the right, making sure that I'm still breathing. Like, you know, are you you dead? Yeah. You know, can, can you feel your feet? And the only thing that felt a little goofy was my my left hand. So I looked to the left. I didn't see my arm. I looked to the right, and I saw the palm of my (gasps) hand. 
but I was laying on it. And so basically, oh. like, so if you can visualize it, take your elbow and break it in half. Uh-huh. And then you're, I'm laying on it. So, oh, my gosh. So oh. what had happened is I completely, like, exploded the, the elbow, the, the, the elbow bone uh-huh. in there and, and detached my, um, my tricep muscle. So after I did that, um, I went to the doctor. Well, actually, I stayed at the race um, and then camped that night. I put a couple sticks and some duct tape on it just to kind of hold it in place. I know. Wow. And <laughs> You're such a dude. Yeah, I know. I'm such a boy. <laughs> so um, did that and had my dog with me. And um, then we jumped in the truck. I drove home the next day, which was like an eight-hour drive home. I get home. Um, walk in the door and my wife looks at me and goes, oh no, what did you do? Because by that time, I was black and blue from my fingertips to my armpit. So like it was oh. it was black and blue. It was crazy. So I told her it was fine. Just give me some ice. So I waited another day before I went into the doctor. Went into the doctor the next day. And uh, when I walked in, he's like, oh no, you've done it like this time. So they take the x-rays and it's bad. Yeah. So the issue was, is I still had two more races for the rest of the year. So I'm in championship points. I want to win. And so I went to a neurosurgeon, or not a neurosurgeon, but um, an ortho. And Mm -hmm. he told me, you know, you need to get in surgery immediately. So I told him no, but what I needed him to do was to build me a brace. So they built me a hydraulic brace. And this is back in like 2000 when none of this stuff was really around. So they built me this hydraulic brace. And I actually raced the last two races of the year with no tricep, with no use of my left arm. So Wow. Um, and I, I took third overall in the, in the championship, um, which I guess is kind of a proud moment. Yeah, because absolutely. It, I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't first. but So anyway, so I had the surgery. And um, surgery had really never been done. They took a, a heel bone and an Achilles tendon from a cadaver and screwed it into my arm and then took the Achilles why? tendon and grafted it to my tricep so I could actually use my arm. And they had some complications with it. And so I was out of surgery. I was laying there. And they were trying to pump me full of drugs to keep me keep me comfortable. And, and this story is based on what people were telling me because I don't remember it at all. But... My uh, my wife at the time she had she went to go get a drink and right as she walked out of the door and the door closed behind her and locked um, the code blue came up so oh. heart stopped stopped breathing all sorts of things everybody's rushing to me to to revive me she's watching through this little glass window as, oh, her, as her husband is dying yeah right? and so she's freaking out um, they ended up bringing me back and yeah. But no recollection no, at all. No, no, no. I mean, cool dreams and stuff. Like no I, white light. Yeah, yeah, no white light. Oh. No, no. Just, just thinking about riding a dirt bike. So. Oh, that's a good thought to yeah, have. Yeah. That's a good thought to have. So yeah. Nice, interesting. Um, really quick though, I, going back to racing, just yeah. because you'd mentioned something about two hundred miles going around a lap, mm-hmm. um, and I know you've done some car, right? Some race car driving, some mm-hmm. dirt bike driving. Some of these races go on for such a long period of time. I could yes. only imagine what mentally you're thinking about because I feel like either A, I'd get nauseous and dizzy if I'm going in 800 circles, or yeah. B, I would just lose focus. So how do you, like, what do you think about to keep on the right path and not, you know, not, fall over yeah, yeah, not, and, and, not, and win not, at the not, same time? Not yard sale. So, yeah. um, so the, the desert stuff that I do, we'll get into the race car, um, 
you know, sometime in the morning, and these races are anywhere between 450 miles to 1,200 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like the Baja 1000, um, we'll start at the top of the peninsula down to the bottom of the peninsula, which is like a 1,200-mile race. So, uh, driving, a, driving a race car isn't, like, I know a lot of people think that it's, it's an easy sport, because mm-hmm. all you're doing is, is driving, uh-huh. and, it's, and it's far from that. So, I try to explain it as in, try, you know, imagine being in a paint shaker, for 12 hours straight yeah. so because you're just i mean you're getting beat up the the entire time but the mental focus um driving a race car it's it's literally like 70 percent mental um you and on top you, of that you also have your mental illness which i don't know if that yeah. helps or if it if it makes it harder it makes it a touch harder because the um, you have to be focused non-stop all the time so so imagine driving um as fast as you dared to drive right mm-hmm. through traffic with your foot hovering over the brake waiting for someone to do something stupid for 10 hours so it's 10 the, hours oh yeah like, like the longest i've been in a race car is 14 hours so it, do you get to stop to i know this is like a silly no. question but like do you stop to use the restroom or how does that no no, no eating no, no, no using the bathroom you just no. 14 hours yeah, yeah i couldn't do it yeah i, I give yeah. you credit yeah it's so been yeah it's fun <laughs> yeah. it's good times it's 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 painful it's um it's it, it is a brutal sport mm-hmm. it's a hard sport um, typically when I hit about, you know, the 450 to 500 mile mark, um, I start getting like mentally drained, um, because you have to, you have to stay focused the mm-hmm. whole entire time. Because if you lose focus at all, you You're can gone. hit, yeah, you can run off cliffs, you can hit rocks, you can hit trees, you can hit other competitors. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot on the line, so... How do you, outside of racing though, how do you keep yourself mentally healthy? Like, are you big into um, like natural healing? Do you take medication? How does one with your illness stay stable? Um, man, the list of meds that I've tried over the past 20 years is like, it's massive. I mean, I've taken every antidepressant you can think of to, <clears throat> to bipolar medication to everything. So, um, what I've found is there's not one thing that really works. Um, I am really, really huge on fitness and training and, and to be able to, um, nutrition to me is a huge part of mental health. Absolutely. I I mean, it's, it's the main reason why I, I, um, started my supplement company so i have a oh you have a supplement company yeah yeah yeah, i started very cool we um we launched it this year um it's uh, it's called gear 49 Mm -hmm. and it's it's how i'm marketing it is it's for motorsports nutrition um but it's it's basic um, clean nutrition for for training Mm -hmm. and the reason why is because i know that that healthy living healthy lifestyle is imperative to being mentally healthy as well um, and that was a, I mean, that was a big deal for me. So are you one of those people too? Because, um, I don't know if you've ever watched any documentaries, but they have documentaries like food matters. And there's a few other ones that talk about how, um, when doctors put you on a lot of different medications, it mm-hmm. sometimes can just make things work mm-hmm. or excuse me, worse, worse when all you really have to do is make sure you clean up your diet. You're oh. eating lots of, you know, fruits and vegetables, this, that, and the third, mm-hmm. and it can really eliminate how many medications you should be on because a lot of times you're on medications, taking medications for the side effects exactly. of medications. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I like the natural stuff. 
Um, Good for you. The, the, the homeopathic um, way of doing things. I mean, even down to oils and, and, you know, those type of things. I mean, the, the drug manufacturers, I mean, I, like I get that they have drugs for certain things and, Mm -hmm. and I know that, that a lot of it's out there to help, but like you said, it's the side effects. When you're taking a medication to counteract the side effect of the thing that you're taking, it's time to revisit. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and, and a lot of it can be based on diet. I mean, the, the diet and the food that we put in our body, I mean, if it's clean, if it's healthy and there are certain things that you can take to, to, to counteract things. I mean, like, uh, for example, if you take omega threes, fish oil, krill, the krill oil type stuff, Mm -hmm. that's really, really, really good for, for mental acuity. I take four grams a day. I mean, I take a bunch. And when I don't take it for a week, I can tell. I can tell that the, that the disorder kind of is starts to get a little Take goofy. A little so, so yeah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of of um, natural stuff. Do you talk about that in your book at all? Let's talk about that because I okay. think we travel yeah. a little off course. Yeah, but yeah. what are some of the other things that you touch upon in your book that we can gain information on? Um, you know, a lot in the book. Um, I think. W- what I w- what I was trying to convey at at the very beginning is um, kind of the never give up mentality. Mm-hmm. It's um, we always find that we have limits, um, and we set our our limit at a certain platform. Mm-hmm. When I don't think there's anything I, like I don't believe in limits at all. I don't think that um, that we have um, limits on anything that we do, and it it's. So my analogy is this. So imagine being on a treadmill. Most everybody's been on a treadmill before. And let's say that you're running really, really hard and you reach that five-minute mark and you think to yourself, I can't go any farther. That's my limit. If you push yourself to, let's say, five minutes and 30 seconds, okay, you've you've beat that five-minute mark. Okay, Mm -hmm. so then the next day you go in and then now you do six minutes because you know that you did five minutes 30, now you can do six. And so you always push that limit farther and farther and farther. And so that's, I kind of take that analogy, but then put it in life. I mean, whatever whatever you want to do. I mean, it's, if I wanted to become a brain surgeon, I know that I can do it. I don't want to. But but I know that if I if I pushed myself hard enough, there's nothing 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 that that I can't do. Like I know it, and I've proved it. Well, I mean, and this is also this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is coming from a gentleman who's run several businesses very successfully and doesn't have a formal business degree or education. Like you did it all in heart, passion, and soul. Yeah, I like I barely graduated high school. I am not an educated man when it comes to book smarts. So I've always been the the hands on guy. Um, if like nowadays is nice because I can get on YouTube if I want to learn how to do something Absolutely. I watch it and then I recreate it and then now I know it so you know I'm not taking any way, anything away from college and stuff but but for me it's that wasn't my that wasn't my thing I I had I have to learn by experience and I think that's an awesome and very positive message too because yeah. there are definitely people who might have not went to college and maybe they are in their later proportion of their life and they just feel like well. It is what it is, and it never yep. is what it is. Like you can do anything. You can. You really can do anything that you decide to do. Absolutely. You just. It, it, you, have, you have to have the confidence in yourself. That's very you, important. You have to be able to understand that that your mind, um, even though your mind tells might tell you that you can't, you can. Mm-hmm. You just have to try it. So if you don't try, then you never know. 
Really quick, what would be your dialogue to yourself then? If you are, because you seem like you are, you're a very inspirational, very upbeat guy. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, if you are going through one of your depressive phases, what dialogue do you have with yourself to be like, okay, it's time to kick myself in the butt and like <laughs> we need to keep it moving? Oh, it usually takes someone coming over and dragging me out of bed. But um, the depressive side of things, that's life's a balance, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so being manic depressant, um, finding that balance is nearly impossible. So you're manic and having the time of my life, instead of going back to a normal, to a balanced state, I fall farther down in the depressive. And so... Um, To be honest, I really don't even know what goes through my mind other than I just I want to take all the the stimulant, all the visual, the the smell, the touch. I want to take all that and like push it away. And I just want to just lay there. I don't want to I don't want to really do anything. And it usually takes a couple days before I start. At least now I start understanding. It's like, okay, like at least get out of bed. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can at least get out of bed and walk around the house, then that's the first step. Then the next step is, all right, like go take a shower. And then that's the next step. And then just prove to myself when I'm in that moment, prove to myself that I can at least do something small. I don't want to take the whole picture and say, all right, I'm 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 laying in bed. I don't feel like getting out of bed. But I have nine million things that I need to accomplish because then you become overwhelmed and then you end up staying in bed not yeah. doing anything. Yeah. It's taking those small steps. And so just proving to myself that, yeah, you know what, I can get out of bed today. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. And then I can go outside. And then typically once the sunshine hits my face, I'm You're happy. Good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. It's like, all right, I need to be out here. Yeah. And um, and then just it, it kind of progresses. But sometimes, I mean, it can take months. It yeah. really can take months. And so, you know, I have... <clears throat> I don't have very many people close to me, um, kind of because of the disorder. Um, but the people that are close to me, they see it, and when they see it, they start slapping me around and saying, "Hey, look, you need to, you need to kind of pull out of this." Yeah. Well, I think one of the accomplishments that you have achieved, though, is this book in its own right is definitely yeah. a huge one. Yeah. And again, I commend you for sharing such personal, intimate details about yourself, your life, your emotions with everybody else. It was hard. I can imagine. I could absolutely imagine not even just emotionally, but also physically getting yourself committed to constantly, yeah. you know, uh, contribute to the book. When can we see this book as far as being able to purchase it and all um, the other good stuff? Um, we're hoping if, if if the plan works, I mean, the book's written, um, you know, we have the, the 250 pages done. Um, I'm just kind of fine tuning it now. So uh, there's only I've only read two books in my life. Right. That's it. Um, I read one in junior high that I had to because of school. And then I <clears throat> then I've reread the book that I wrote. So um, when it when it came to actually writing the book, I didn't I like I didn't even know the format that I was supposed to be writing. it. I'm just telling stories on on paper. So so now that I've got it, it, it done it, and it took me a couple years to get there. Now that it's done, now it's in a book editor. Um, she's going through it. She's fine tuning it, making it where. It's not so bouncy. It's not because I, my brain bounces so much. I, we need to be able to keep the reader <laughs> up to, up to speed. Yeah. To, you know, to say so. Um, so we're hoping you know forty five sixty days something you know something like that. So anxious. I'm very anxious. Awesome. Where can we find information about your book then? So that way we know we can stay up to tabs and like find out when it's when it's official. 
Do you have a website or anything um, like that? We, yeah. So, um, so the web, the website that I have now, um, we'll, we'll probably launch some stuff on, uh, on my race, um, on my race page. Um, so it's, it's raceprotect.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have some stuff on, on there. And then, uh, and then my social media at Justin Peck 49, um, for Twitter and Instagram, um, we'll start giving teasers and stuff off of that. So, awesome. and then, and then on Facebook as well. Cool. Well, I expect to read a copy of your book. You will get one for sure. Thank you. And I'm so glad to have you here. We had a fantastic conversation. For those who participated with us at home, thank you so much. And then for those who are catching this later, feel free to leave comments in the comment box below. We'll be sure to check them and answer all of your questions. But in the meantime, thank Thank you you. again. Thank you. And we will see you guys next time on Book Circle Online. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.